Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Here's one big question. Why Montreal? Why are the Rays looking there? And do you think Major League Baseball will let Stu Sternberg tie up two large markets for the Rays? Are the Rays losing money or just not making as much as ownership would like to? And after the Rays' June swoon, are they capable of still making a postseason run? Any chance Dirk Cutter got fired because he wanted to move on from Jameis Winston? We've got your mailbag questions answered 100% correctly on this edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times, along with producer Steve Bursnick. Hey, if you own a business, you'd like to sponsor part of this podcast, we've got lots of new ways you can do that. We're growing by leaps and bounds, and our advertisers are having great success, and you will too. So now here's what you do. For information, hit us up on Twitter at SportsDayTB, or you can send me a note on Twitter at NFL Stroud, or my email address is rstroud at tampabay.com. We'd love to have you guys be part of our team. All right, Steve, lots of questions, not surprisingly, about the Rays, about Stuart Sternberg and this idea of splitting the season at Montreal. Uh, let's get started. All right, well, Carter asked the big question to start. Why Montreal? Didn't they lose the <laughs> team before because of poor management and low attendance? Why do, what do they think has changed? And what is wrong with Blake Snell? Wow, let's take the first one first. Um, why Montreal? Well, I think that uh, Montreal has made it clear they want a baseball team back in that city. Um, yes, it's true that uh, they left for many of the same reasons that the Rays are contemplating a move from Tampa Bay, or at least part of the time, and that was that they had a dome ballpark that no one particularly liked going to. They drew about, I think, 17,000 fans at one point. Of course, uh, you know, towards the end there, they were playing half or many of their games in Puerto Rico uh, before they may move to become the Washington Nationals. So, um, look, they, they, they have a baseball tradition in Canada. There's only one other team there, of course, in Toronto. Uh, it, it's a country that, that obviously is in Major League Baseball, likes baseball. Uh, and, and I think that it, right now, at least, you know, they're on the list of, of cities that would entertain trying to get an expansion team if and when Major League Baseball is ready for that. Now, the cost of that would be exorbitant. You know, whoever would, uh, w- would have to pay the rest of the owners for, you know, the expansion fee. So this certainly would be less. And, and remember, too, that, you know, in this instance anyway, Stuart Sternberg says, and if you take him at his word, and I know a lot of people doubt his credibility, but people are, you know, he said, I've looked at Montreal as a permanent solution, and I don't, I'm not interested in that. Uh, and that could be for many reasons. But, you know, he's only playing half a season there, much like he's playing half a season in Tampa Bay. So on some level, it sort of indicates that maybe Sternberg is wary that that Montreal, like Tampa Bay, could support it. You know, could support a team for for a full season. You know, a four, full 80, 81 games or so. So, um, you know, he's talking about a smaller ballpark. He's talking about an open air stadium. The same things he's talking about in Tampa Bay for half the year. Uh, why Montreal? Because they're interested. You know, <clears throat> because they said yes. And, and I think that, uh, you know, you have to have a tangible city um, with uh, leadership in that community 
that can make things happen, you know, from a, uh, you know, from a community standpoint, whether it's building a stadium or, or attracting a team or whatnot. And they certainly have that uh, in that city. And so, again, I don't know that baseball will work full time in Montreal. I don't know if it's going to work half the time. I mean, this whole idea is still is still pretty fresh. So not really sure what's going on with that. But um, but anyway, that's, you know, again, I think it's because they are there. They're they're making known that, uh, you know, that they're in pursuit of Major League Baseball returning. And, you know, until now, their, you know, their aim has been for the expansion team. But as as you know, they said during the press conference that a bird in hand, meaning the Rays, even for half a season for them, uh, is certainly better than the promise maybe of being in contention for an expansion team if and when Major League Baseball expands, plus the cost of that as well. As for Blake Snell, Steve, I, I watched him pitch, you know, this this last game. I missed his one-third inning outing um, previous to that. But, look, it, it, when you advertise that you're going you're gonna to emphasize fastballs and, in fact, you throw, you know, 80% fastballs and most of those for strikes I think you're going to get ambushed and you know there is a there's a fine line I think between you know mixing your pitches and and working off the fastball which is what Snell needs to do I mean he's got four really good pitches that he can throw for strikes but everything works off the fastball and fastball location is always going to be the number one thing right so you, you know, it's not a matter of throwing it over the middle of the plate. You're going to have to locate that thing, but you, you want to start there. And I think, you know, he showed progress in his command in that he was throwing strikes. He wasn't walking hitters. Um, he relied maybe a little bit too much on it. And the Twins are a good hitting team. You know, he lost some guys on 0-2 counts. What happened in that game, if you go back and watch it in his last outing, was he threw the ball much better. Um, but he got a couple O2 counts where, you know, they were sitting almost like they were sitting on breaking stuff. And, uh, you know, when they're down in the count O2, they see a couple fastballs, they foul them off. It shows you that they weren't on, you know, they weren't barreling up the fastball necessarily. But then they were taking advantage of some breaking balls. And, and I think they were guessing uh, sort of what his what his rhythm was, you know, sort of what his mix of pitches were going to be that day. Kyle Snyder has come out, his pitching coach, and said, that's on me. Uh, I'm responsible for some sort of what's going on right now. And I think they're going to have to sort of find the, the, you know, the happy medium between establishing the fastball, working off that pitch, um, you know, challenging hitters and being aggressive, um, but not, you know, not being wild in the strike zone, if you will, not, not throwing it center cut. Uh, and, then, and then being able to put hitters away, you know, that's the next step. I don't know that anything's wrong with his arm. He says he feels great. Um, he says he's throwing the ball very well. He was encouraged by some of the improvement. And really, it, you know, the game is so mental. It can, it can go away from you as fast as it can, you know, as, as easily as you can be on fire. You can be cold as ice. And so the same is true with pitchers. And I just think that he needs to get back to, you know, being confident in his command and challenging hitters. And once he gets that back, uh, you know, he'll be Blake Snell again. I, I don't. I don't think there's anything physical. Doesn't seem to be, um, but you know what? Hitters make adjustments, and you know Blake Snell was a Cy Young Award winner. And when you're facing him, you better have a pretty good idea or a pretty good plan when you go up to the plate of what you're going to do against him. And I think I think hitters have adjusted, and he's probably relied too much on his other pitches. And now that he's going to go back to the fastball, I think they just sort of ambushed him. And the ones the hits they got for the most part 
you know, they had some balls just kind of fall in. You know, they weren't well struck. You know, they did have others that were. Um, but we'll see. I think this next outing is going to be crucial. Obviously, he wanted to have a better one coming off that third of an inning. But, um, you know, he says he feels good. Let's see if he, he and Kyle Snyder can come up with a little better game plan. All right, Jeff asks, do you really think that the owners will let Stu Sternberg tie up two large markets when he paid only one franchise fee? What precedent does this set? And does MLB want markets tied up like this? Like Miami and Vegas, are they next? This is an outstanding question, and we talked to Mark Tompkin about this, and he was he was frankly surprised that you know that the owners were were readily uh, agreeable to the Rays exploring this this two city concept. Now, you know, we just talked about expansion. I mean, you know, if you remove Montreal as an expansion site, then you know, again, that's the potential of millions and millions of dollars in the owners' pockets for that expansion fee. So how many more cities, you know, would then be available for that? And um, so that part, that part does surprise me a little bit. The only thing I can think of is there are other teams that are interested to see if this two-city approach, approach works. Uh, and so maybe they're willing to let the Rays, you know, be the first team to try it. You know, I think that, you know, if you can – like, for example, Tampa Bay has a big media market, right? And, and if you can maximize that, but it doesn't do well from a corporate support standpoint and it doesn't do well in attendance, um, you know, if you can, you know, sort of incorporate two TV markets, um, you know, it's a regional sport. So if you involve a different region for the same team, you know, it's a way of growing the game, I guess, without saturating the game you know with too many teams because you know they, they got 30 now I don't know what what their expansion plans are or when they would really get around to doing that look it's awfully hard to build big ballparks in cities you know whether it's Montreal or Las Vegas or some of these other places that may covet baseball and some of them aren't big media markets so you know there's that as well so I, I think baseball is intrigued by this idea um, and willing to let the Rays you know be the guinea pigs if you will and the other plus is, look, if, if they can make themselves financially solvent in terms of attendance and revenue and all that, um, these owners won't have to continue to pay money to the Rays to then go out and kick their butts with. You know, I mean, imagine the Yankees who spend three times the payroll but are giving millions of dollars to the Rays every year are probably sick of it. Um, so it's, it's, it, there's a savings on the other end as well to, you know, you're only as strong as your weakest link. And I'm not suggesting the Rays, while their attendance is bad, their, their revenues – uh, you know, aren't as bad as their attendance. So uh, it's not like they're not making any money. But um, there, there's there's some pluses to owners allowing this. But I agree with, with Mark Tompkin. It, it is a little surprising because you wonder, like, okay, who's next? You know, would, would the Miami Marlins, for example, do that and say, hey, how about Miami and Charlotte, you know, um, or what have you? So it's, it's going to be interesting. But I think we're a long way, a long way, um, from seeing Stuart Sternberg be given even permission by St. Petersburg uh, in this lease agreement to to even explore this, I mean, it's there's a lot of hurdles, and that's that's if he's allowed um, from a lease standpoint to uh, to even talk to Montreal or another city. All right, well, that's you brought up the money part. So Carter asked, are the Rays losing money or not making as much money as ownership thinks they should? Nobody really knows for sure until baseball were to open their books for some reason. But the best information that that has been gathered, I guess, is is that they're not losing money. 
Um, I think they have a, a, a pretty lucrative TV deal. Again, it's a big media market. Their payroll is, uh, you know, certainly reasonable. And uh, when you look at the other major league teams, what are they under like $60 million or something like that? Um, you know, attendance is what it is. It, it really hasn't fluctuated up or down all that much over the last, you know, years that Sternberg has owned the team. Um, my guess is they're, they're certainly not making what they want to, and they're not making enough to stay competitive uh, and get over the hump in the AL East. I mean, you just look at this race. Okay, what was it? It feels like a week ago or two weeks ago they were in first place in the American League East or at least had a share of first place, and now they're, what, six and a half games back as we tape this podcast or something like that? Um you know, and what have the Yankees done? Well, in addition to getting guys healthy, they went out and get Edwin Encarnacion, uh, you know, and, and they're able to, you know, to beef up at, at will uh, any weakness they may have in the bullpen or in the in the starting lineup. Uh, and the Rays simply can't do that. And, you know, they're sitting here with all kinds of problems in the, in the bullpen right now, um, you know, but they didn't get Craig Kimbrell, you know what I'm saying? Like, so... From a competitive standpoint, I think they they'd like to have more revenue uh, to do that with. Um, so you know, there's there's a lot of financial reasons why you want this to work, why you want to to increase revenues if you can't do it through corporate support and make it work in Tampa Bay. Um, you know, again, theoretically, Sternberg thinks, well, let's let's compress the attendance we get, you know, throughout the six months, and if we got that within three months. Um, because the Rays would have a, a, a new beginning in Montreal halfway through the year, um, then you're at over 2 million fans and you can make that work. Now, I'm not sure I buy into his theory that, you know, if you're drawing 10,000 for, you know, you know, for 81 home games right now that you're going to get 20,000 for 35 home games. I, I, I don't buy into that necessarily, but that's the theory anyway. So, uh, I don't think they're losing money. Um, I definitely think they're not making as much as they want. And, and even, if nothing else, greed is one thing, but from a competitive standpoint, right? They're just not being competitive financially that way. All right, Matt asks, is it just me or is basically Stu Sternberg turning Tampa Bay into a prolonged spring training for the Rays? Montreal will get the best parts of the season, including possible playoff appearances or even a World Series. Well, it is uh, sort of like that. It's uh, an extended spring training, you know, um, and, I, and it's largely based on when the weather is good. If you're going to have an outdoor stadium in Tampa, if you wanted the second half of the season where supposedly you think it's better as a fan to watch it, you're not going to watch it in an open-air stadium in Tampa. You're not going to start your season in Tampa, you know, sometime in June and run through July, August, and September. Those are the hottest months down here in Florida. Um, so, you know, from, from a comfortability, um, you know, opening day is, is a big, big day in baseball, maybe the biggest day besides the postseason. So, you know, in spring training, we know um, is a celebration. It's, it's the beginning of baseball, right? You get a month where all the teams are down here in Florida and, and you're getting excited, you're getting ready for the start of the regular season. So there's a lot of advantages um, that Tampa Bay would have, I think, for beginning the season here. Of course, you know, in the question you mentioned the disadvantages, but we don't know, for example, what happens in the postseason. These are all things that would have to be worked out. And we also don't know, for example, that you wouldn't see the Rays come down here and play at some point in the summer. I mean, let's say, for example, and again, I'm not 
I'm not saying this is a great plan or a great idea or that I would go for it, okay? I think people get confused when you start talking about this in terms of it may be working that you're advocating it. I have my own personal feelings about it, and I understand why fans don't want any part of it at all. Uh, and, and frankly, I don't think anything's going to happen uh, positively for the Rays on this for some time. But let's say, for example, that the Rays have an interleague series against Miami, right? Uh, and then they were to play a home game, quote-unquote, in July uh, or some other time uh, you know, during the summer um, against whomever in the American League. Well, instead of traveling all the way back to Montreal, maybe they play a four-game series in Tampa. You know, it's just an extended road part of their extended road trip. Um, so you just don't know. And then as far as the postseason goes, look, I – I would say this about the postseason. It's pretty, it can become pretty nasty, I would imagine, weather-wise in Montreal, or at least colder um, in October, and when it's absolutely stunningly beautiful down here. So would you want people bundled up, shivering, and your players playing in cold weather in the postseason in Montreal? Or would you like to move some of those postseason games back to Tampa when in October it's maybe one of the more spectacular months we have weather-wise and is as comfortable as it's going to get in the baseball season. So uh, I would just say that it, it's hard to know how they would divide that up. It's also hypothetical. Um, but as Sternberg said, those are all problems they're willing to tackle. I think a lot of those problems are also going to be part of what the stadium looks like, how much money everyone's putting in, and, and those will all be negotiation points negotiable. For, sure. for both cities as far as, you know, is it Absolutely. every other year you get the playoffs or every other time you're in the playoffs or – Every you know, other series, and, yeah. And I know, you know, Stu Sturmer got a lot of criticism because he didn't have answers to some of this stuff. That That's the small potato stuff for what he's trying to do. And, like, yeah, and just sure like is. you said, I'm not saying I'm advocating his plan. I'm right. saying the name of the team or where the playoff games are going to be are small potatoes for what he's trying to do big picture-wise. That's, that's, right. that's, that's all stuff you get to later. Right. What I think was missed in the press conferences is – what do you think the stadiums are going to cost, and how much are you putting in? <laughs> exactly, we've not heard that at uh, all. And we've never heard it from. I mean, you know, he kind of said 150 million for the the Ebor City project, which was a 900 million dollar stadium. That's the only number we've ever heard Stu talk about how much he's willing to put in for any of this stuff. Well, and we but we did hear, I think, uh, during that press conference that was asked hypothetically, you know, an open air versus. Mm-hmm what they looked at with the roof that they, there's a savings of potentially like sure. 300 350 million dollars so if you go off the ebor city stadium and and this one would be smaller doesn't need as much acreage mm-hmm. apparently um because it would be a smaller stadium in, in total um but if you if you go off the old price of 900 million 800 million whatever so now you're now you're down to five be put in 150 200 million you know maybe it'd be a 300 million dollar but is investment. he still willing to put in 150 million for we a don't stadium know that's yeah say we five don't or know. 600 million and we that's that's the thing that yeah i mean the, the the whole i think the thing one of the things i think that irritates Rays fans is just that that you know you have never really committed to um what your investment is going to be financially into a new ballpark and until you know that number it's hard. It's hard for a, a you know a municipality, whether it's Hillsboro, Pinellas, St. Pete, Tampa, to really know how much how much money they would need to construct something mm-hmm. like this. So, well, that's, and that's, and that's all what part we of the negotiation. Know. You know, one of the things, and you and I have talked about with the Ebor City plan, it never felt like there was a sense of urgency from either side. No. Now, no. I'm saying that's publicly. Now, I don't know what was done behind the scenes, 
And and maybe right. those conversations between Hillsborough County and Race 2020 and Stu Sternberg were a lot more advanced and detailed than we know of. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we don't know what Stu's interest is besides he's moving here now or he's buying a place here. And and he's, you know, said he's going to put money in. But with this project, we don't know. And granted, they don't know what the stadium's going to look. Is it going to be at Al Lang? Is it going to be at a new spot? Is it going to be at Tropicana Field? You know, that all affects, you know, if, there, if there's land acquisition cost or not, et cetera. So we don't know the, the price of the stadium and what it may look like. So, but we don't know how much he's willing to put in either. All, all good points and, and something that I think is going to be left uh, at, much like everything else as a negotiating, um, a negotiating point. Less ask, wouldn't this Montreal thing be a scheduling nightmare for MLB? Trying to wrap up 35 home games by a set date every year, would that be tough? Um, no, I don't think so. Um, you know, uh, I, I haven't looked at the schedule that they're currently operating on now or how many home games they've played, but I mean, whether you play them here or in Montreal, you generally have about the same home and road games at any point in the season yeah. within five or six A games. Couple. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, 35 home games is always going to be early June, most likely. Yeah, so I think it's more of a date yeah. than than a number of games. I mean, sure, you might have a series that you know one right. year laps a little longer into June than the other, but don't forget that on the front end, um, eventually it looks that the, you know I know they have contracts in Port Charlotte right now too, but on the front end you're also going to have a spring training situation. So mm-hmm. um, you know that's going to be they're going to be selling that as well as that. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Well, you know, you get to see the Rays for a month in spring training, then the regular season. So, but yeah, no, I, I think, you know, most most teams play about the same amount of games through through the first two months, mm-hmm. um, within a few, and and yeah. So I, I don't perceive yeah. that as a, as a problem necessarily. As a general rule, it's a week on the road, a week at home, a week on the you know, mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. there's you know, occasionally you get that ten game road trip or ten game homestand, and but you're yeah, out you're, west, or, yeah, yeah. You, you don't have teams generally that all of a sudden you have you know fifty home games played and thirty five road games. There's never That's right. there's never that disparity there. As far That's as baseball right. goes, it's it's fairly consistent. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. R- rooting for UF asked, Rick, help me understand why St. Pete continues a strategy that costs them millions in unrealized revenue from trop redevelopment. It's been obvious for years that baseball in St. Pete isn't working. Wasting fifteen plus years of development is nonsensical. A lot of people agree with that, and uh, th- I think there's pressure politically on on each mayor that comes into town and the city councils to 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 do just that to redevelop. Uh, to use that land for another purpose. Um, I, I don't have the particulars of their lease agreement, um, but we talked to Mark Tompkin a little bit about this, that you know the Rays currently um, would share in some of the revenue uh, from the development of that property for a purpose other than playing baseball on it. Uh, and so you know that might be part of it too, that look, you know, w- what would we be forfeiting as a city um, if we develop it before 2028? You know, because until then, if we develop it while the Rays are still under our lease, they actually share in a large, if not half, 
of, of the revenue that's generated on, on the sale of that. So, um, you know, all of that's part of it. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a zero sum game. You know, what, what do you earn from having the raise on that, on that property and what's the potential development revenue that you could have? And, you know, again, if the raise are on the lease, you're getting maybe half of what you would get if they weren't. So, um, you know, it's a moving target a little bit, but I, I think that, you know, St. Petersburg certainly has, uh, you know, they got a stake in it in terms of, you know, if, if they do choose another ballpark, and that might be part of the negotiation too, right? I mean, mm-hmm. if, let's say the Rays wanted to get out of their lease or get a more favorable situation or whatever, um, you know, they have this they have this chip, if you will, that St. Pete could negotiate from, is, and that would be, you know, their portion of the revenue from the sale of the Tropicana Field site. So maybe they could, um, you know, maybe they could recoup some of that in exchange for getting out of the lease sooner, for example. So you just, you know, all of that, I think, is going to be part of negotiation. But right now, I would just say a couple things, that the Rays don't have anywhere to go, and if St. Pete wants to keep the Rays without a stadium site, this is where they are. This is where they're located. So they're making the choice that, yeah, we want Major League Baseball in Tampa Bay and in St. Petersburg. We think it's we think it's valuable, and we know we have this for the future, um, but until we can find, you know, a new stadium site or make some, you know, something works out somewhere, um, the Rays have to have a place to play, and that place is Tropicana Field. So until 2028, they can't begin to try to redevelop it. All right, Scott asks, this has been a June to forget. A daunting schedule and injuries have played a factor, but the Rays just don't look like the same team we saw in April and May. If they can get healthy and add some pieces, i.e. bullpen help, are they capable of making a postseason run? Well, they're capable, but they're quickly falling out of everything. I mean, pretty soon they're not even going to be in a wild card picture if they continue this way. You can't go four and ten, you know, and, and whatever they've, uh, you know, this this road trip. I think as we do this podcast, they're currently two and seven. Um, you can't play that kind of baseball. And and I think the largest part of it, Steve, correct me if I'm wrong. It's been their bullpen. I mean, look, it Jose is. Alvarado. Their bats have gone quiet too, as a whole. But yeah, but 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 bats. Here's the thing: like hitting, but will that go comes and slumps. goes. Yeah. Yeah, hitting will do that. It, you know, you'll face some better teams with better pitching. You'll just, you know, I mean, was, you know, was Austin Meadows going to bat 350 all year? Now he's down below 300, okay? Um, you know, you're going to have guys that are going to go up and down as far as the batting. But, but what doesn't, you know, what the Rays' formula is, is that the pitching and defense doesn't go through those slumps as as pronounced. And we have said from the beginning, okay, that – this team might only go as far as its bullpen will allow it to. And, you know, they've had the injury to Tyler Glass now. That's, that's been, you know, devastating for them. And now it looks like he, you know, who knows if he's going to pitch again this season. We don't, you know, we don't know what's going to happen there. Um, you know, and, but, you, you know, you went into the season saying we're going to use Jose Alvarado as our closer. We've got, uh, you know, what, Diaz. Diego Castillo. Diego, I'm sorry, Diaz. Diego Castillo is as our eighth inning guy. And Chaz Rowe was supposed to be one of those, right? And so all those guys. So what happens? So Alvarado just he goes off the map. I mean, he's got something going on with his mom or his family in Venezuela. He's gone, right? He's not even. They don't know when he's coming back. Now, of course, he's doing some re, rehab games, and mm-hmm. it looks like he might be closer to coming back. Meanwhile, Castillo blows up, can't throw strikes, and we find out you know he's on the IL now. So those are those were their two, mm-hmm. you know, eighth and ninth or ninth yep. inning guys. And Chaz Rowe last year was so effective, and this year, yeah, 
and he's been he's been half that. I mean, his walks he's walked more people I think already this year than mm-hmm. he did all of last season. So his command is gone. Emilio Pagan has done some good things. He came in the other night, got an 0-2 count with the bases loaded on Jose Cruz, and then gave up a bomb that cleared the bases and cost him the game. Um, now it wasn't his fault. You know they had walked a lot of those guys aboard, but you know it, it's it's really hard if you're the Rays that are built on pitching and defense and run prevention, not accumulation, uh, to to win close games when you're not able to finish them. You know. Well, from the beginning of the year, we talked about, you know, we always weren't sure about the offense, but this team was built on pitching and defense, and we said they'd no go push. as far as their bullpen took them. Yep. And their bullpen of late has been less than stellar. And you know what hurts that, too, is their defense has not been up to their usual standards. Mm-hmm. I mean, the other night, you know, you're playing you know, G-Man Choi at first base, and you get a ground ball that should be a double play, and you wind up with no outs, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you can't. In a game that's you've come back and taken the lead four to three, we're down three to nothing. You're not going to score a ton of runs. You can't have that, you know. And so it, it's kind of it, it. You know, we've talked about their defense not being of the usual standard what they've needed, and it 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 raised its head the other night. You know, that and running themselves out of innings has sort of been sort of been the two things that have cost them um, some some runs and some ball games. And but but the biggest thing is like you said. Uh, and we've said it from the beginning, is that that bullpen, they need additions, right? They need some help there. And I don't know where they're going to get it or what's available, but now would be a pretty good time. You don't have to wait to the uh, end. Two of weeks the ago would have been a good time. Yeah, <laughs> I think so. I, I mean, they, I think tried, they tried for Kimbrell and, you know, they yeah. chose the Chicago Cubs. That's fine. but Sure, but that's, that's going to happen. Yeah, I, they need some help. All right, well, Les says, looks like the Rays will be in the wild card race for the rest of the year. But if they don't make the playoffs, would this be considered a collapse? With such a good start, it would at least at least be a disappointment. It would be a disappointment, and I think, yeah, in many ways, it would be a collapse. I mean, you know, it wasn't like that they ran away from the field or anything. But after winning ninety games the year before, coming in with some expectations and getting off to the start they did, I'm not sure anybody forecasted that kind of start. Um, this might be closer to what they are. You know, a team that's you know, maybe closer to 500 than, than well, than 100 wins. Um, I mean, that was the pace they were on. They were on a pace yeah. for over 100 wins for most of the first half. So they're 45 and 35 right now at 80 games as we tape this before the day game on, on Thursday. So that's on pace for about 91 wins, 90, 91 wins, which is what they were last year as a team. A year ago. Mm-hmm. I, I think if you miss the playoffs and you win 90 games, I don't think it's a collapse. That's um, true. They got off to a hot start. Uh, if they finish the season below 500, then maybe you can call it a collapse. I mean, but yeah. with the hot start, they had, it would definitely be a disappointment if you missed the playoffs. But baseball, I as agree. we know, is a long season. But like I said, if like last year you have 90 wins and missed the playoffs, is that a collapse? I don't know if it's a collapse. No, I think last year everybody looked at it as, wow, who saw that coming, mm-hmm. right? They thought they right. were going to lose 100, including well, and me. They had such know. a horrible start last year. Yeah, they overcame. You know, everybody last year was the opposite, right? They got such mm-hmm. a bad start overcame it, finished strong, and just didn't, you know, it, it was a, it was also a year where two teams in the American League East won over 100 games, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so uh, that, that all factored into it. But, yeah, I, collapse is too big of a word, but, but disappointment is definitely up there. I mean, they, they, they should make the postseason. If they don't, I think after winning 90 and then starting the way they did, that would be a disappointment for sure. All right. 
We'll switch to the Bucks now. And the first question is, Rick, it was clear that Dirk wasn't committed to Jameis Winston last year. Any chance that he got fired because he told the Glazers he wanted to move on from Jameis? That would be ironic because he got the job based on his relationship with Winston. Uh, it would be ironic. I don't know the answer to this question, and I, I'm almost embarrassed to say that I, I really haven't explored it very deeply with Dirk Cutter, even though maybe it's one I should ask him now and get back to you. Um, in an honest moment, he may tell me. <clears throat> it wouldn't surprise me. Let me put it that way. It would not, I, and I don't think that's why he was fired. I mean, ultimately, I think you know he was fired because he didn't win enough games. I mean, you know, you can't go five and eleven and five and eleven in back-to-back years, and especially if you're Dirk Cutter, and you know, your record is what it is. He went nine and seven his first season, which I think was a surprise and a pleasant surprise. Um, but when you follow that up with two five and elevens, and you've not been a head coach in this league, you don't have say. Bruce Arians' background, right? You're not a guy that is um, established as an NFL head coach. And, you know, I, I think ultimately, again, I think his record is sort of what got him. And, and the decisions he made with his staff, I mean, let's not forget, he's the one that's responsible for bringing in Mike Smith. He's the one that's responsible for signing him to a, you know, to a three-year contract or whatever. Um, and, and when Mike Smith has a defense that gives up 29 points a game and you wait at least one or two weeks too late after the Chicago debacle to fire him and you say things like, well, what is changing one guy going to do? I mean, all that sort of comes back on your head coach. Um, now, could he have had that conversation about, you know, hey, if I'm here next year, I want to I start over with a new quarterback? Perhaps, but they did sign Jameis to a fifth-year option before the start of the 2000. And 18 seasons so he would have had to have been in on that discussion now I know it's guaranteed only against injury so they could have they could have gotten out of it assuming Jameis didn't suffer a you know cataclysmic injury and he didn't um, but you know look from the beginning and I think this is a this is maybe the biggest thing for Jameis Winston right now and why Bruce Arians is here and why Bruce Arians the first statement he made as head coach was this is Jameis's team and why he cleared the deck uh, as far as competition goes where, you know, yeah, we'll have competition at the quarterback position, but no one's taking that guy's job. He's our starter. The rest of them are battling for number two. And the reason is is that Jameis didn't feel the love with Dirk Cutter. I think there was a deep mistrust at some level, uh, both you know whether Dirk could trust Jameis not to throw four interceptions in Cincinnati uh, or Jameis could trust Dirk not to go back to Ryan Fitzpatrick the first time he stumbled. So, you know, it got to the point last season where, you know, as soon as Ryan Fitzpatrick was benched and Jameis came in, um, you know, he needed to go the rest of the season. But there came a point where Dirk was like, look, yo, I got to win games. You know, ultimately I'm going to get fired if I don't win games. And so when he went back to Fitzpatrick, that was it for Winston and Cutter. I, I, I don't know how – you know, Jameis and Dirk could have come back from that. I know that Jameis did play again, and he played well, uh, and Dirk was seemed to be supportive of him. Um, but given the history, you know, from the beginning, Dirk very honestly stating that he preferred Marcus Mariota or would have preferred Marcus Mariota to, uh, to Jameis because he knew him better. And, of course, when Jameis was drafted here, Dirk Cutter was in Atlanta, so he didn't have a say. Um, but just that statement and everything that transpired, even though he was very supportive of him, anytime we would talk about Jameis, he, he was very pro Jameis. But I think, 
I think that the, the trust was eroded. I think the Glazers knew that. The Glazers have a lot of faith in Jameis Winston still, and so they needed to find somebody that would be in the quarterback's corner. And when we talked to Clyde Christensen, if you hadn't heard that interview uh, that, we, that we played, you can go back and listen to it on the podcast. You know, Christensen made it clear that you know, if there's anything that's important between the coach and the quarterback dynamic, and not just the quarterback coach or the offense coordinator, but the head coach as well, that is that he has to be the strongest advocate for his quarterback. He has to be, as, as Clyde said, in his corner. You know, that guy got to feel, has to feel like you're always in his corner. I'm not sure at the end that, they, that Jameis Winston felt that way. And I think Dirk Cutter had a good reason not to trust Jameis just based on, you know, the way he played at times. Um, so, yeah, it wasn't going to go forward. But whether Dirk actually stated to the Glazers, look, I don't want that guy as my quarterback, I don't know. I do remember when Greg Schiano, even before taking the job, made it clear to the Glazers that I don't want Josh Freeman as my quarterback. And they told him, sorry. That's that's part of the job. Um, if we get rid of him, it'll cost you your job. And, and in fact, Shiano, you know, told them that, well, with all due respect, if I keep him, I think that's going to cost him my job. And he was right. So, you know, hard to know what those internal discussions are. Um, but but I do think it's fair to say that, uh, you know, as, as long as the Glazers wanted to go with Jameis Winston, go forward with him, Dirk Cutter probably wasn't going to be the guy. And yeah, it is ironic that. You know, they wanted continuity after Lovey Smith was fired and, you know, were very happy with what Dirk had done with Jameis in his second year. And that's why that's really as, as big a reason why, J- why Dirk Cutter got the head coaching job as any. All right, we'll wrap it up on this. And Ellis asks, big picture, how much did the debilitating illness and eventual passing of Malcolm Glazer affect the Bucks franchise for the last decade? Well, we'll never know. But I, I do think that there is... Uh, there's obviously been a big difference in results, right, between when Malcolm owned it uh, and when his sons ran it uh, after his stroke and then eventual death. Um, it's undeniable. Now, a couple things about it, and, and, and in some instances we really don't – it's kind of hard to know who to blame for this exactly, but I always go back to this that, you know, there were the three uncapped years in, in the Glazer family, whether Malcolm was part of this at that time or not, I can't remember. Um, but when they started to become interested in purchasing Manchester United and did in, fact, did, in fact, did purchase them, they had a huge debt retirement on that team. Uh, and they had three uncapped years where they can control the bottom line, in other words, not have a minimum that they had to spend on payroll. And they took full advantage of that in terms of, you know, getting rid of all the costly veterans and, you know, deciding. And, of course, you know, the, the lip service was we want to build through the draft. We want to, we want to you know, rebuild. We're going to have a young team. Yeah, that's fine, but it also means that you're not going to spend money uh, because you're, you're playing primarily with guys that haven't been in the league very long. And they didn't spend any money in free agency during that period to speak of. Remember one year after they won – 10 games went 10 and 10 and six with Raheem Morris, uh, you know, their coaching staff and Raheem was begging for free agents and they wound up signing a punter and that was it, you know? So, um, you know, whether Malcolm would have proceeded that way based on the financial constraints, we don't know. Uh, but I don't, you know, I know the kid, like the, you know, the, the Glazer family and particularly Brian and Joel, they want to win. They will tell you they made coaching changes and that's a demonstration of that, that they, 
paid a lot of coaches that still had years on their contracts, but they weren't satisfied with the results, and they were they were determined to win. And that's why they, they've had so many different coaches. But they're not good at it. I mean, we, we can say that, you know, at 32 years old, Raheem Morris probably wasn't a good hire at that time. Um, you know, we know Greg Schiano didn't work out. Of course, that wasn't their first target was Chip Kelly at that time. Uh, you know, Dirk Cutter uh, is, is, you know, he didn't work out. So, I mean, they've, they've gone through several of these coaching changes that, um, you know, they just haven't found the right person and, uh, or stuck with them long enough to see if he could turn it around. So whether Malcolm would have done that, I mean, Malcolm, Malcolm clearly was an out-of-the-box thinker, but he also was a big-game hunter. I mean, you know, look, he fired Tony Dungy, who I still say uh, the guy that did the best job in turning this thing around was, was Dungy. Um, and yet, even after making the playoffs four out of six years, he terminated the guy, but he made a trade for John Gruden. I mean, he gave up two number ones, two number twos, and $8 million. So he wanted to win – as as maybe as bad or worse than his sons did and his family did uh and you know there's also a lot of ways to measure winning you know there's there's winning on the field and everybody wants to be a champion um but there's also winning you know financially and you know somewhere in there is and i would say that the bucks have been a huge success financially even though they would tell you that they'd like to draw more fans and that they haven't won enough games um, but Malcolm Glazer, he wanted Super Bowls. And, you know, I, I, the, the brief interactions I had with him, he was a pretty, he was a pretty, you know, he was a docile guy, but he was a pretty imposing figure when it came to what he expected. You know, he had really high expectations for his football team and, and they met them. But, um, you know, it, could it have been different? Maybe. We'll never know. Uh, but it hasn't been a good 10 years or 11 years. I mean, when you don't make the postseason in 11 years, uh, it's, it's a failure from a, from a um, one-loss record standpoint. So I'd say they're worse off, you know, and it's unfortunate. It happened. I think, I think the Joel and Brian have, have grown each year and, and learned and gained experience and have tried not to repeat all the mistakes that they have made. But here we sit now with a restart with Bruce Arians, and we'll see if, if they got this one right. All right, thanks for your mailbag questions. Those were great ones as usual. And uh, you don't have to wait for a mailbag segment to send us your questions. You can always do that on Twitter at SportsDayTB. You can reach me on Twitter at NFL Stroud, or my email address is rstroud at tampabay.com. Busy weekend, of course, the Rays home against the uh, Texas Rangers. And they're also offering next week uh, $2 tickets to their game July 1st through 3rd against the Baltimore Orioles. So no excuses financially to to not go to the uh, Trop and, and see the Rays play. The Lightning will have their three-on-three development tournament uh, today and tomorrow. That's uh, also available to the public at the Brandon Ice Forum if you want to check out some of the Lightning's young players and draft picks. And I have a belated seventh birthday party for my daughter, Alexandra. <laughs> so it's the last weekend in June. It's going to be a busy one for sure. Uh, try to stay cool out there, folks. It's getting awfully hot. We appreciate you guys listening each and every day. And uh, for Steve Versnick, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great weekend, everybody. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. 
Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.